Welcome to Sketchbook Podcast, a discussion about inspiration and process with artists, creators, and designers. I'm your host, Daniel Montoya Jr. On July 20th, 1976, the Viking 1 lander touched down on Mars and set back the first close-up photographs of the rust-colored Martian surface. Hank Aaron hits his last big league home run, his 755th, and establishes the all-time major league record for career home runs. And in the town of Pittston, Pennsylvania, the quality tomato capital of the world, Jude Joseph Boughton burst into this world with all the splendor and majesty worthy of a debut. Attending Kutztown University of Pennsylvania with a focus in theater and dance and additional studies in movement for non-dancers and dance in the musical theater, Boughton has long been a student of dance and musical theater history in America and movement education to non-dancers. Jude's previous drum corps experience includes Phantom Regiment as the visual coordinator in 2014, color guard instructor and caption head in 2003 and 2004, Spirit of Atlanta, color guard coordinator 2010 to 2013, the Colts, program coordinator 2005 to 2009, the Glassman, a movement instructor in 2005, and the Reading Buccaneers as the color guard designer in 1998 and 1999. Boughton has taught extensively around the country as a designer, choreographer, dance educator, and program consultant working with many groups including WGI medalist Mechanicsburg High School and most notably with 12-time WGI independent world-class finalist the Black Watch color guard from 2003 to 2012. Jude moved to Austin, Texas in 2010 and has instructed and designed for such nationally known programs as Round Rock High School, Vandergriff High School, and Leander High School. Jude Bouton, you old so-and-so. How about those dolphins? <laughs> oh my God. How are you? I am well. How are you this morning? Good. I'm very good. I'm very happy to be here. Yes, yes. As you know, Jude, it's getting, quote, cooler in Central Texas, and Texans are cautiously pulling out their sweaters, jogger pants, and of course, their scarves. How many scarves would you say you have in your collection? Well, uh, I think they've dwindled in the last decade since moving here, but at, uh, at the largest, I would say about 20. 20? What, yeah. what makes a good scarf? It depends on the temperature. You have your <laughs> scarf that you use to stay warm. And then, of course, the all-important fashion scarf. Correct, yes. For an accent of color. Ah, yes. Now, like uh, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, do your scarfs give off any hints of data or news or visions or anything of the day? Or is it just uh, purely fashion? Oh, it's purely fashion. I don't coordinate a scarf with a show or <laughs> no, a religion or anything. No, it really is. Usually, oh my God, I like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now for the folks listening at home, in their cars, in their bathtubs, at the gym, guarding bathrooms during standardized tests, can you describe in excruciating detail what shoes you are wearing today? I am wearing reddish orange flip-flops mm -hmm. from Old Navy. Oh, the oldest of navies. The oldest of navies. Yes, that, that's fantastic. Now, Jude, our research team has dug deep into your past, and apparently you like Broadway. Is this correct? I do like uh, the Broadway, uh -huh, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, what do, you, what do you like about it? Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> this where, is, we don't have all day. Where would I say, right? <laughs> How much tape is there? Uh, I love anything that deals with live music. There's something about it that uh, connects with my soul. It always has. And I fell in love with musicals first uh, in movies. 
with my grandmother and then experiencing a stage show for the first time and the feelings and the passion that can come from someone on stage live looking out into that audience and singing was just invigorating to me. Mm -hmm. And so, and there's no place in the world to see a musical like in a Broadway theater. I mean, people say uh, it doesn't matter. Touring companies are great. Yes, they are. But there's nothing like a Broadway musical on Broadway. Yes. Now, um, I'm going to quiz you on Broadway. Oh, Lord. Yes. Now, um, do you know what the longest running show is or was? It still is. Is? Yeah. A Phantom of the Opera. A Phantom of the Opera. Do you know how many performances? Oh, I would say, God, 13,000, 14,000? Uh, more than 12,000. That's correct, according to my notes. Um, do you know what the number two longest musical was, running musical was? Yeah, that would be Chicago. Uh, I think Chicago still because it's a revival, and, mm-hmm. um, but this one is no longer running. So I guess a continuous, longest continuous running, number two. The longest continuous running, number two. Would that be Cats? It would be Cats. Wow. Look at you. Now, can you do number three? The longest continuous running? I believe so. That is according to the notes that I found. Number, the number three. Number is 6,691. Oh, my God. Uh, six. Hmm. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure, honestly. It is, uh, it's not a Lloyd Webber. No, well, right. Yeah. Can you can you give me a hint? Um, a movie was recently made of it, a few years ago, and the same director is directing the movie version of the number two musical that is to come out this year. I don't. I don't I believe know. it's the same director. I could be wrong. It's Les Mis. Oh, the, oh, Les Mis. Well, the movie came out a, a while ago. Yes, and then I think he's also doing Cats. Is that right? Oh, Tom Hooper. Tom Hooper. Yes, yeah, he is doing Cats. So. Now, here's another one. So, Liam, this is the second longest running... Third. Third. Behind Cats. Continuous. Continuous. And then they did mention Chicago is like the longest running revival. Because it's... I mean, it's... Right. Seems like it's always going on, I guess. It is, yeah. As of late. And the longest running American musical Is that so? Yeah. Wow. Man, you should... I should have asked you... Well, then you would have known the questions I was going to ask you. Like, (laughs) dude, I'm going to ask you some questions. Now, do you think that you could tell me the top five current commercially successful musicals? Top five that are playing on Broadway right now. Correct. They are all playing right now. Well, I would think Wicked would have to be one. Wicked is number three. Uh, of course, Hamilton. Hamilton's number one. Yeah, of mm-hmm, course it mm-hmm. is. Uh, Frozen? Not in the top five. Probably hasn't been out long enough. Oh, Aladdin? Aladdin's number four. Number four. All right, we've got two more. Oh, uh, Book of Mormon? Number five. You just got one more. And what's no, what do I have left? Like? Number two? Number two. Number two. I, oh, I'm, I'm trying to go down the streets now to think, what's what's big? Has, has it been playing a while? A long, a, quite a while. Enough to where I saw it in Austin like seven or eight years ago. Maybe even 12 years ago. Oh, wow. So it's mm-hmm. an old, it's old. It was groundbreaking. And I believe was the first of its kind for this particular studio who is now putting everything on Broadway. So it's a Disney. Mm-hmm. Well, what's Aladdin? Lion King. The Lion King. Lion King. Yes. How did I the know? Lion- Julie Taymor's Lion King. Yes. So, you know, when we talk about Broadway, I'm going to have to put you on the spot. And you can change it any day. I'm sure if I ask you this tomorrow, you'd give me a different answer. What's your favorite musical? Oh, God. I don't know if I have one favorite musical. Sure. So... Often when I'm listening to musicals, it is absolutely dependent upon the mood mm-hmm. that I'm in. Um, I would say it usually uh, goes back and forth between uh, Mame mm-hmm. and uh, I absolutely love Mame uh, and La Caja Fall, which are both the same composer. Jer- Jerry Herman, yeah. Jerry Herman, that's fantastic. So that leads me to my next question. Do you have a favorite composer of musicals? Jerry Herman. Jerry Herman. Yeah. I mean, I love many of them, but to... Uh, 
the classic Broadway sound. When mm-hmm. people think of gay Broadway show tunes, mm-hmm. they generally think of what Jerry Herman writes, which is kind of frothy, bubbly happiness. Yes. You know? Now, now I, it was purely coincidence that the quote I started this podcast was from The Birdcage, the movie version of La Caja Falls. What do you think about the movie version, um, The Birdcage, with Nathan Lane and Robin Williams? I actually, I don't know if you saw this, I'm, I just posted it and, and tagged you in it on Facebook today. Oh. Uh, the scene, um, well, it's a collection of scenes about Eli Jackson okay. and how hysterical. I think it is... Uh, one of the most marvelous movies ever created. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it is tremendously funny. The yes. the screenplay is is just genius. Elaine May wrote the screenplay, and, okay. and supposedly, I don't know if we've talked about this before or not. It was so funny during the screening, during the directing of it uh-huh. and the filming of it, that Mike Nichols, who was the director, could not be in the room. <laughs> he would have to say action and leave because he would laugh sure. every time. So I think that uh, it's an incredible film. Because of the performances and the screenplay, and every time I watch it, I find something new. Yeah, it's a, it's. Inc- I remember watching it as a high schooler, and I liked it. But the older I got, I actually appreciated and understood things more and more. And I think we've talked about this before. Nathan Lane, like, why did he get nominated? For he got a Golden Globe nomination, Golden not Globe? an Oscar. Why he did not get at least nominated for an Oscar for that movie? And you look back now, and it's just it's incredible the he, depth of it. No, he's brilliant. He's brilliant. Um, favorite lyricist? Oh. That's an interesting question because Jerry Herman is one of the, the people that writes both. But wow. I would, yeah, oh, wow. but I would Jeez. say Jerry Herman is not my favorite lyricist. He's not? Oh wow! Uh, that would, I think, for most people, go to Stephen Sondheim. I figured you were gonna, you were yeah. gonna say that. Now we're gonna get into two that I wouldn't even probably recognize, um, other than a few names. A uh, favorite choreographer? Oh, Tommy Toon. Oh, okay, I know no that question. Name. Yes, Tommy Toon. Wow, awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, can you list some of the for those of us that aren't familiar, like his more famous uh, works that sure, he's done? Sure. Yeah, uh, Tommy Toon is a ten-time Tony Award winner, and he really dominated the '80s. Um, you would know uh, Bessel Whorehouse in Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, a wonderful show called Nine that was made into yes. a movie. Did you like that movie? Uh, it was okay. I think okay is the best way to yeah, describe it. Was okay. That movie. Uh, the buildup for it yes. was incredible. The trailers were great. The trailers, oh my god, were yeah. absolutely wonderful. I mean, yeah. I was on tour actually teaching drum corps, and I saw the trailer for the first time, and I thought, oh my god, this is going to redefine. But you know, largely the story in the movie has changed from. Oh, is it? Oh okay. yeah, and there are no men in the stage musical. This is what was so different about it back uh-huh. then. There is there is one director mm-hmm. and a cast of thirty women. Oh wow! And so it really is mm-hmm. about this man and all his relationships with women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what else would we know? Uh, he Grand Hotel, okay, uh, yeah. which was a huge hit in the uh, in the early nineties. Will Rogers Follies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, then he did some uh, performing, and uh, I would say my one and only was the other big one he did, where he choreographed and uh, performed at the same time, but. He's one of our great uh, choreographer directors. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, he no longer does Broadway anymore. Oh, like so many people, because the cost is too high. Sure. And when you have a flop that's fifteen million dollars, it just it can tank your career. And so, unfortunately, he had a flop and stopped. That's quite unfortunate. It is very unfortunate. Why did? It, why was I thinking of the Fantastics? That doesn't. That doesn't seem to be right. I'm obviously incorrect. For. Tommy Toon. No, but the Fantastics is the longest running musical in America. It is no longer on, but it ran for over thirty years off Broadway. Really? Yeah. So I, I knew there was a, mo- a reason why yeah. why I knew that. Now, 
one of my favorite shows, Arrested Development, I cannot find, had, uh, featured Liza Minnelli, but there was another character, Argyle, her brother. Tommy Tune. That's Tommy Tune. Okay, yeah. good. That's exactly, he was so wonderful he in was that great. movie. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay, that's what I, all right, we're in the same wavelength. Now, I won't know any of these names. Favorite stage designer? Oh, Santo Laquasto. No you, question. Can you tell us some of the... Well, he just won a Tony Award for Hello, Dolly. Oh. the costuming. Is that, is that best re- revival? He won a Tony Award for best costume. Oh, best costume. Yeah, okay. for it. Um, what else? Uh, I don't think you would know most of the... He won a Tony Award for Grand Hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a great play called The House of Blue Leaves. He's just a, a stock, mm-hmm. long-time designer. Wow. Um, and he's still designing, thankfully. He's still alive and... Yeah. How old is Steven Sondheim? He's got to be like 90, 89. 89. Yeah. He's Holy 89. smokes. Holy smokes. Now, this isn't on here, but I remember reading something about Randy Rainbow. Have you followed Randy Rainbow? I have, yeah. And I guess Steven Sondheim had given very high praise to the lyrics of Randy Rain- Rainbow. Um, do, you, do you like any of the videos Randy Rainbow's been putting out? I love them. I think they're great. I think they're... Well, Steven Sondheim said to Lin-Manuel Miranda... That's what it is. ...that he's... Randy Rainbow is just as good a lyricist as anybody working in America. Holy smokes. Yeah, that's a pretty Yeah, I mean from him. From Sondheim, because there is no one better. If I mean, I think ever there's no one better mm-hmm. to create words that tell a story. I do. I think they're witty, which mm-hmm. is the hardest thing to be. Sure. It's easy to be funny. Right. Uh, I mean, it's not easy to be funny, but compared to being witty <laughs> yeah. and hit, hit, the satire he creates... Uh, I especially love when he does patter songs, songs that are extremely fast yeah, um, yeah. and rhythmic. And so I think he's brilliant. And, and you know, he's made a career out of this, which was just kind of supposed to be fun on the right. side. And now he's touring America. It's amazing. It's, ama- it's truly amazing. That's fantastic. Now, you talked about this, but you didn't list. Do you remember the first uh, musical experience, Broadway experience, like where you were, what theater it was, what, what the musical was, like? Can you can you take us to that moment? The first Broadway one? Sure. Let's let's do the first broad, or maybe the first your first was it a touring musical or whatever just like lit the spark in you that goes oh my gosh musicals are amazing. Yeah, that's a hard one, but it's a real good one. I remember being probably six and watching The Music Man mm-hmm. with my grandmother mm-hmm. and falling in love with Robert Preston and. Of course, this is before there was the internet, mm-hmm. and we had tapes, you know? And I remember making my mom take me to a music store and buying a cassette tape of the original Broadway cast of The Music Man, and I learned every word. And so that kind of lit the spark. Mm-hmm. My first Broadway show was in seventh grade. The uh, It was called The Fine Arts Club. Um, would go on a trip to New York every year, and we saw the original cast of Into the Woods. Oh, wow. So it was Bernadette Peters mm-hmm. and uh, Chip Zion and a, just an incredible cast and an incredible story. Um, yeah. And it just it just blew my mind. And not, I, I mean, I don't think that's the best show to take young kids to, <laughs> sure. you know? I mean, I think there's a, there's a cursory level and then there's a much deeper level of what it's about. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Bernadette Peters, I mean, any star you see live, there's a reason why people are called stars. Yeah. And I think especially live right. in live theater. And if you've not seen a live star, you often don't know what mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. And when she walks out on stage, there's just something like the entire building takes a breath in. Mm-hmm. And so even being in seventh grade, I just remember being totally enamored with her as the witch. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so that was my first one. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a, 
That's fun. Yeah. That's good. Now, you, as we read in your long biography, you've been everywhere, Jude, and you've done so many things visually, choreographing, color guard, coordinating, designing, visual, all that stuff. Um, let's talk a little about your process. Mm-hmm. What, what tools do you use? And this can be as obvious as I use pen and paper or I use this. Like when you are sitting down to design something, anything, whether it's color guard, drum corps, marching band, whatever, what, what is at your disposal that you have to have to get you going? Uh, now it's, uh, my iPad because I, I would say this, my iPad and my memory (laughs) because my memory Mm -hmm. of what has impacted me in the past, uh, is so much of what leads me to a direction. Mm -hmm. And so my iPad takes me into YouTube Mm -hmm. and in YouTube I can disappear and, just go into a hundred different worlds and start to mine all of these different ideas and what are possibilities. And then the other thing would be as I get more uh, involved in what the director of the group wants the show to be, or if it is drum corps, what the uh, program coordinator wants the show to be would be, I really love books. Mm -hmm. I think there's something about, the tactile experience of opening the page and being able to read and, and closing it and throwing it and picking it back up and slamming it down. And, and so I am a huge collector of books and, and they're very important to me. Mm-hmm. So that's really how I start the process is it's so, uh, so much about how I can collect information first. And, and how do you prepare your, your ideas, your sketches in, in a way that you would then present to the band director, the coordinator, the music arranger, et cetera. And I, we've worked together on a number of projects over the last few years, so I know what you do. But for those listening at home, those that want to be you when they grow up or those that want to work with you, what, what comes next? Obviously, you don't just give them your iPad. Like, what, what happens then? <laughs> no, I do not give them my iPad. Uh, how do, mm, I am a huge advocate of having a package from start to finish, mm-hmm. even though it may change. I think even when I first get my hands on what an idea is or what somebody may want, I like to know from the start what, how many episodes it's going to be, how long it's going to be, what the look and feel of it is going to be for me. It may change when other artists get involved, but I need to have that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's important to me. And then as you know, if this is kind of where we're going, the next thing that's really important to me in the preparation side is I need to know what it looks like. I need to know who these people are. If it's something like a narrative concept, if it's more abstract, I need to know what this environment is. And I know many people will do that last. They want to know the music. They want to know the structural effects. They want to know what the atmosphere is. And then they'll put in the flags and the costumes and the, and the set design. And that's the reverse for me. I have to know mm-hmm. who these people are or where they are. And, um, and I find that takes me in a thousand different directions. Now, two, so that's most important to me, I think. Now, two things that I and many others um, equate with you, and, but you have been very um, forthcoming with where you have gotten them. Number one is a whiff of time and space um, when, you, when you create your, your shows. Can you talk about that and, and how that's different for maybe for you versus maybe somebody else? Or just kind of, you know, what do you hope to achieve with a whiff of time and space? Mm. Uh, that's it's pretty close. Um, it's a hint of time oh, there it is. and a whiff of place. Oh boy! Yeah, it's from the the uh, incredible uh, costume designer and the woman who really first brought lycra, which is what all of our costumes mm-hmm, are now, mm-hmm. to 
uh, to the performance stage, a great designer named Willa Kim. And she would say that all the time, regardless if it's abstract or if it's completely and totally narrative. What is the hint of time and the whiff of place you're dealing with? And so for me, whatever it is, conceptually, I need to find those elements, be it color, be it texture, the look of things. Um, and that's my time and my, my place um, or my space for that matter, what the environment is for space. The hint of time could be anything from the type of music in terms of when it was written or the type of time in terms of how we're exploring time and how we want people to experience the show. I generally typically love to tell stories. I am a, a storyteller. So even when it's an abstract, like some that we've done, a show that has no storyline, in my mind, it could just be about three or four colors. There's a storyline going on in there. And I think a lot of people are like that. And so uh, that hint of time and that whiff of place uh, can come from anywhere. But I need to have them. You know, I'm, very, I'm not the person you want if you're going to give me four pieces of classical music and say, make a show out of this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, the other thing that um, I attribute to you is uh, everything touched by design. Oh, yeah. Um, why don't you uh, sure, wax poetic though, well, that's on that Sure, that's not mine, but uh, that is probably one of the greatest lessons that I've learned from Michael Cesario. Mm-hmm. And uh, it sounds so silly because it's <laughs> such a simple message, but everything touched by design honestly means that there is no aspect of a production that should not have design, should not have attention to detail given to it. Mm -hmm. Everything at all, down to the color of the wheels, down to the earrings on the girls in the pit. Every single thing absolutely matters and, of course, serves the show. And something people don't always think about. When I say that in a clinic, people laugh because they don't think about it. Oh, it everything should be touched by design. I think it's the word touched. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think it immediately makes me think of uh, uh, like a fairy godmother with a wand (laughs) going, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm like a wizard. I'm going to zap that. I'm going to zap that. But, and I think it's a great way to think about it because when that person hits that with their wand, that fairy godmother, it changes it. Mm -hmm. And that's what is so great about that is yes, Design should change things. It should take something that's totally normal, totally just something common, sitting there, a cup, and turn it into serving the overall look. And so that that being touched by design, I think, is a great way um, to think about anything you're designing, anything you're working on, even choreography-wise. I learned from the great uh, Tim Newburn, the choreographer, about doing that with choreography, which I had not thought about. How does the body stylistically offer choreography that just isn't there because it's there, but actually is touched by the design of the period or touched by the style of the fashion that you might be in? If it's 70s, does it have a look of 70s? If it's, say, gangsters, does it have a gangster? And and I think it's great. And when you start to think about that in everything you do, anything you're designing, it really becomes like a check system for you. One of my favorite things about film or books is this idea of suspension of disbelief. And you talk about, when you're talking about everything being touched by design down to the pit, 
we're watching productions now that aren't just playing and marching. They're they're basically this this twelve minute extravaganza on a marching band field. And if you were watching a television show and all of a sudden you see the boom mic coming down, the suspension of disbelief's blown. Like you're like, yes, I know I'm watching a TV show. Don't remind me I'm watching a TV show. And so so many shows nowadays, you you see you see how the magic trick is being done, and you don't want to see that. Like. I want to be wowed. I don't want the front ensemble to be wearing their bibbers, half bibbers, while the color guard and band are doing their full uniforms because you still see the pit, right? That's just this idea of touch by design. And you're right. A lot of people don't think that. And I, and I don't understand why, but I also kind of understand why, where they're like, oh, it's just the pit or, oh, it's just the speakers. I'll put a bright orange cable on there. It won't matter. Um, but those little details, as we know, are kind of what elevates a program from good to great, or will give you that little extra push where you're like, oh, I was so captivated. Oh, but then you did this and you totally took me out of it. And, you know, I think those are the things that we just don't think about sometimes as designers, teachers, performers, et cetera. I, I agree. I think that because so very often they're in the smallest moments and it's so easy to forget about them because we are so focused on the big moments mm-hmm. and getting those right that we tend to jump over the small moments. And you just said a word that I think is so absolutely perfect which is magic. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what makes the great productions great is that when there is a sense of magic in it, and I don't mean magic as in enchantment, mm-hmm. but I mean magic as in watching, for example, those Ronald Reagan dresses several years ago turn from one color mm-hmm. to the other mm-hmm. yeah. it, on a musical cue. That's our stage magic, you know, flags of different colors coming from everywhere and you don't know where they were. Mm-hmm. A- and, and I think that Magic in the smaller moments is what tends to elevate. It's, you know, it's a lot easier to do the big ones good to do the small ones mm-hmm. where, and make someone look at it, mm-hmm. make someone listen. I think that's the, the real challenge. I think that's the hard one. Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm surely not the only one, but I feel like you and what you brought to the visual design when you started at Round Rock, uh, I think you're, you're part of the reason for the explosion of such good band in the greater Austin area. You know, we, we've always played well down here, down here meaning in Austin. But I think the look that you brought, the aesthetic, especially at Round Rock in the early years, kind of really set things in motion. So much so that you still see what I, will, what I, what others would call like the Jude Bouton aesthetic. You know, before you came down here, we didn't all do the front flats with, with uh, designs or graphic or the title. We didn't have the giant 12-foot uh, backdrops or any of that kind of stuff. It's just you, you in a way with, with maybe with the team that you brought with Round Rock or just, it just uh, a confluence of events. It was just like, holy cow. And that was the spark that kind of set off what happened in Austin. And now we're, we're obviously competing with so many other programs in the state and or in the country, but it's just, it was refreshing to see something so new for marching band down here. Like I, I, I will go on tape and record saying like, you're, you're a big reason why all the bands are really good now, aesthetically, visually down here. Like, that's incredible. Good for you. <laughs> well, I don't know if that's true, but thank you. I yeah, it's just, it. and you see it. Like, there are programs that you see, that looks like a Jude design. It's like, oh, that, that's not a Jude design, but that looks like Jude design. They obviously studied what you have done. Do you, do you look at other programs and go like, yeah, that kind of looks like something I would have done, or I did that, or why didn't you just call me? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm always asking why people are, call, are calling me. Of course, um, yes. Yeah, I think it's it certainly wasn't just me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a large part of it was the designer, Jeremy Hunt. Mm-hmm. I think we both came from small band environments, 35 musicians, 40 musicians. And as a practice, 
to be competitive, these theatrical devices had to be used to look big, Mm -hmm. to fill the stage, to give purpose and importance to it. And it was so easy to see because it wasn't being done down here. I mean, I will say that in Austin, it was shocking that nobody was using swing flags. (laughs) And I'll never forget going to the first uh, area contest and sitting there and watching everybody. And even the smallest color guards with good bands would be doing their biggest moments on these tiny little six foots. Mm-hmm. Um, and two years later, you couldn't find a group without massive double swing flags that were too big for girls to use. Of course. But I, I really think it was both of us coming from small places and saying, God, if this can work and do its magic with small teams, mm-hmm. can you imagine if you could do it on this level and give it the same sense of importance as you would with a small, you know, and, and it really worked. I mean, certainly, um, it's at least it started the, uh, ball rolling at round rock before the artistic side of it got better. Yeah. You know? sure. I, I believe the first show that kind of, if you weren't from Austin, you probably didn't know about the round rock band, but then you did the dragon show, I believe. And that just was sort of, you people like, where did round rock coming from? And I'm from Austin and I've round rocks always been good. They've always been a state alternate, a state qualifier. Like they've, they've never been down, but then all of a sudden it was round rock was making finals. They made San Antonio. They went to state like the, the dragon show, which just seems so obvious why round rock didn't do a show about dragons. Cause their mascot is in fact the dragons and their uniform had a, had to have the dragon already on the that was uniform. the first year. That was the, and, and that is one of the most, iconic marching band uniforms you know you think about marching band there's the plymouth canton uh uniform there's um to me it's like the ld bell uniform with the military like just some of those and the round rock uniform just lights out but yeah you had the dragon show and i think the next one was the raven show uh it was um, acts of light um oh okay yeah. and then raven was, and then raven came yeah out. it's just that uh, it was like non-stop home runs with that program that i think in a lot of ways culminated with their fourth place finish at grand national finals with the season that wasn't called the season show right no no it was um Oh God, that's a long time ago. Uh, but it was—it was about—it was about the elements. The elements. It was yeah. the four. You had the four queens of the elements. Yeah. Right? Elemental evolution. Elemental evolution. And the thing that sticks out to me as an arranger, and this is not unheard of in the history of marching band and drum corps, but your ballad was a Disney song. It was. It was Colors of the Wind. It was absolutely. And if you did that in the seventies, eighties, no one would blink an eye, right? It's almost like you brought back the idea of, you know, this worked a long time ago and it worked perfectly. I love the music from Pocahontas, by the way. That's an underrated score in all of Disney um, lore, I think. But it just worked so perfectly and it was wonderful. And I just think sometimes we get caught up in trying to do something so smart and something so clever that we go, you know, this really obvious piece here would work really well over here. And it was it was wonderful. It was. And it was uh, what was so great about that. There was a whole other show laid out. Uh, before that Mm -hmm. and we had decided we were going to go to Grand Nationals the next year and I I uh, flew up there to we were I was having a meeting Mm -hmm. and uh, I watched all of finals um, that year and on the on the plane ride home I rewrote a whole new show to Elemental Evolution Mm -hmm. and I had been dying for the longest time to do uh, Colors of the Wind Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. just it's so theatrical. Yeah. And I mean, it says it in the name, you know, like (laughs) there isn't a lot of proving to do. Um, And what was so wonderful about it was I really thought there was going to be a battle to do that. Uh And uh, every single person in the room said, sure, that sounds great. Absolutely wonderful. And uh, Ryan George, the arranger Mm -hmm. was, was completely 
about it. Sure. And all year people made fun of us, you know, all just totally made fun of how it wasn't legitimate right. and it wasn't uh, the consummate of uh, literature for a, a band from Texas. How dare you not play Granger again? And, and, uh, and it was amazing to see people react to it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I loved about it. It was that it was, it was connecting with the audience and that's what we wanted to do. You know, I think that's one thing that, teachers and designers we forget sometimes is we have to connect to the audience and the judges and what better way to do it than on an emotional level on a visceral level because i think that's going to carry a little bit more weight than the intellectual like oh my god you made my brain so much bigger on this other than just like you play a big wonderful moment and giant swing flags go up and it's just you're like oh it, it just hits you in a way that's very different and we kind of forget that and i think colors of the wind that that was a great example of taking something that would hit someone on that level, and it worked. So Jude, you talk a lot about Broadway, how it affected you. I assume Broadway inspires you as you design productions for marching band, drum corps, or WGI, correct? Oh, always, yeah. What else inspires you when you create? Uh, I would say anything theater-related. The ballet, opera, great plays, visual art, of course, Mm -hmm. always. Wonderful music. Uh, music can can send me reeling a hundred different ways that have nothing to do with that that music. Mm-hmm. Um, but Broadway for sure. Broadway for sure. Because I think that uh, I mean, kind of even just going back to to what you were saying a minute ago. Nobody creates theater to design and write for the critics. Mm-hmm. And I think when you do that in our world, and people do, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and, and I know it's it's part of what the game is, I think when you just do that, you lose that important sense of connecting to the audience. You're creating for above the audience to the people in the box. And Broadway doesn't do that. Even in its highest and most cerebral, there is a paying audience Mm -hmm. that has to fill the, the seats. Win or lose, it could be a hit or a flop. Someone is still trying to connect Mm -hmm. to people and make them experience something. And so that's why I think theater uh, is so important in what I do uh, and why it impacts me so much is because I try to stick to what somebody who has no background in any of the disciplines in our world will love and hold on to and touch. And, you know, I, I used to say when I was teaching all the time, you want to be the performer that the little kid in the audience mm-hmm. says to their mom, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's a hell of a lot different than writing and, and creating only to the critics. Mm-hmm. And so theater allows that. You know, it's, it's amazing how many people don't think about the theatricality of something or the, uh, and you said magic, which is a wonderful word. I love it. The magic of something. And I think so often we are wowed by the virtuosity mm-hmm. of how bands play or march. Yes. And, and so very rarely do we ever talk about how something makes us feel. And so I think that really is why theater impacts so much of what I do mm-hmm. is because I want people to feel, and theater is a vessel for that. You know, nobody writes theater to not feel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Speaking of theater and success and making money and whatnot, why do you think the television series Smash was not successful? I think that it is not a topic that enough people are interested in. Hmm. This idea of 
Broadway dancers fighting mm-hmm. to be the star sure. or watching a musical get put up mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. on its feet. I just think that it would be a perfect show for now when it could be done on Netflix mm-hmm. or yes. it could be done on Amazon and funded by people who love that yeah. and watched by people who love that. It's like Mozart in the Jungle. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. I mean, a, a niche audience. And that really was, I just think putting it on prime time at nine o'clock or eight o'clock on NBC yeah. and, and making people who large part of America has never been to Broadway, sure, you know, and really not, doesn't really care about how that show tune was written. Right, right. And so I, I totally got why they were trying to make it more commercial towards the end. Yeah, yeah. And about the bombshell and mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. people and the drama of people. Yeah. But I think that's why really is that it, which is what's so great about these online places to watch shows mm-hmm. is there are things we can see now that would never have existed when we were younger. Yeah. Now, did you like smash? I loved it. I thought it was great. Loved it. I mean, we talked about it many times. We, we have now. Now, um, if you were, if you were casting it, I mean, it, Megan Hilty from the start, right? Like I love Catherine McPhee, but, She's not Marilyn Monroe. She was not. No, no. I, mean, Catherine, I think I mean, Megan Hilty looks like her. I mean, she on. does. She looks. <laughs> she looks like her. And I think to play Marilyn on Broadway mm-hmm. because Marilyn is a role that was created by Norma Jean. Correct. You would need to have a character actress of such bravura that could tear the scenery apart by playing that meek and mild. And I think Megan Hilty had that look and she mm-hmm, had mm-hmm. that delivery and that hunger. And mm-hmm. uh, it was just a great, it was a, a great series. And I'll tell you, even just recently, maybe as as short back as a week ago, I found out that there were people that were in that show that were real Broadway uh, professionals that I didn't even know. Really? Yeah. The Aside from the main star. Yeah. Like they, I mean, Michael Riedel made a, yes. a guest appearance, mm-hmm. but even Jordan Roth, who is the owner of Jujamican Theaters that uh, uh, houses Book of Mormon and the new, uh, what's the new, the the movie, they, La Boheme, it just, uh, it's based off of La Boheme, for big. Moulin Rouge? Moulin Rouge, yeah. Yes. Um, that they're raking money and like crazy. Of course they are. Um, he was in that show. Really? And they, there were all of these people that made these guest appearances and it really makes me think god this was so focused and shot for new york right you know i mean it really you had to know um so that's the amazing thing to me which is why god i would love for them to bring it back oh my gosh totally now that introduced me to leslie odom jr who those of you don't know was aaron burr in hamilton the musical and he was just a uh, a chorus singer or dancer in smash i don't really remember I, i remember him from there um, now, Hit List. Did you think Hit List was going to be a smash? That was the other musical that Catherine McPhee left. The two boys yeah, wrote this musical. The, the kind of uh, like the very, village. Yeah, it was kind of rent Kind of rent-y village vanguard. Yeah, really I didn't, didn't. I really didn't get I it. I didn't. Um, I thought it was, again, trying to get into the more personal side of people. Sure, sure. And trying to grab a different kind of next to normal, that kind of, yeah. you know, what would be Dear Evan Hansen audience. Yes, yes, that, but, that, but that audience didn't exist What didn't yet. exist yet. Yeah, the, so Smash was in a lot of ways ahead of its time. It was ahead of its time. It really was, and uh, I enjoy, and I, I, what I enjoy, I, I ended up, I'm one of those that ended up hate-watching it at the end, because it kind of, I liked the first season, 
even though Deborah messing, you know, with her scarves and all that stuff, like they changed stuff, but I just, it didn't, it didn't do what I wanted by the end. I agree. Um, that I, I remember the pilot episode. It's just, it was so incredible. That was like sort of the idea of them here, are the, all the characters and they, they culminated with uh, the two leads singing that song at the very end. Um, God, I know, I just, we, we I, could just talk about Smash. We could, we could, um, <laughs> uh, Angelica Houston. Yes. Just, you know, but this, what you just saying all this, you know, what, what I love and what also drives me so much is exactly what Smash is. It's about the people. Mm-hmm. And I know I've said this to you many times because yeah. I'm a big, and anybody that knows me uh, personally knows that I'm a big quoter because I read biographies like crazy. There's something really interesting about when you watch or read or learn about these people mm-hmm. in this world that seems so distant from ours, which is exactly the same thing in a different place. Yeah. It is playing out Instead of producers, it's band directors. Yeah. It's, uh, honestly, you know, <laughs> it's like I've said to you, instead of uh, a band director saying to a music arranger, when am I going to get that next piece? It, it's Martha Graham saying to Aaron Copeland, when is the music going to be done? Right. It's all the same. And what makes it so interesting is that it's people mm-hmm. and we can connect to it. And so that always drives me is what these people are experiencing and taking and making it your own creatively. But that's what I love about Smash as well. I think it's... It's about the people. That's why when that when the cadets, uh, and I think Blue Devils had that competition Clash show on the ESPN, core. Yeah, uh-huh. um, the most interesting parts were listening to the people right. talk, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, uh, not watching, you know, who marched better that night yeah. or whatnot. Yeah. Um, and it goes back to the theater. It goes back to what is important to me, is important to you, is being able to connect. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something you can't connect with. As another Michael Cesario-ism uh, would be, they have to care about it. They mm-hmm. have to care about what they're looking at. If they don't care about it, they're not going to root for you. And and that's always in my mind is how do I make people care about it? That's a very personal thing. Speaking of personal, God, it's almost like you uh, know my notes. <laughs> What's your most prized material possession? Oh, my God. I really don't know. What? I've never, ever thought about that. Like, it's, like if uh, there was a fire in your apartment and Will has grabbed the dogs, like, Mm-hmm. You have to grab something. What would it be? Will. <laughs> <laughs> so I made sure I had the dogs. Yes. Too. So Will's got no, the dogs. I, and you've no, got no, them. I got what you're saying. <laughs> oh God. You know, that's a wonderful question. And, uh, and I, I really don't know what the answer is. Um, I have no doubt it would be something from my mother or my grandmother. It would be either. And tonight I know I'm going to be driving and go and go like, Daniel, I have to call you back and tell you. Um, it would be something like that. You know, I'm so not, and I've learned this as I've gotten older and people listening probably won't, don't care about this kind of stuff, but I'm just not a material person. I just don't like books are important mm-hmm. to me. So I would say like there are books that I would never want to not have, you know, something like things like that. Um, but it would definitely have to be something that my mother gave me or, you know. Of course. Yeah. Now you might just answer this next question. Um, what can't you live without? You, you said books, but is that, is that your answer? What, what is it in the world that you, and of course, yes, you need food and oxygen. Right, right, right. But what can't you live without? Oh God. I, I really, I mean, with all the regular stuff aside, I could not live without music. It is just entirely too important to me. I, there is, and I, I've joked about this on Facebook. I've joked about it with you before. There is always a musical 
or a piece of music playing in my head constantly. I mean, it took years and years of practicing meditation to learn to quiet my mind sure. because there is always a symphony or mm -hmm. a tap dance or uh, a percussion break or something that I've been dealing with going on. So I would say really music. When did you realize that you were good or that you knew what you were doing in pageantry? When I get there, <laughs> and I believe that, I will absolutely let you know. Because I think that everybody, you're always worried that the next one you're going to find out or somebody's going to find out that you're a fraud. <laughs> I mean, and, and of the hundreds of biographies I've read on uh, composers, visual artists, directors, choreographers, actresses, actors, this is always the number one fear is that the next thing I do, somebody is going to figure out that I'm a fraud. And so it's like people who, who, when you ask them how their group is doing, they go, oh my God, they're doing great. I can't imagine that those words ever coming out of my mouth. <laughs> it always shocks me. So I, I don't have that. I don't believe I'm always, I'm always worried that I'm just on repeat or people hate what I do. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think that here's what I'll say. I was lucky enough to work with a couple people who believed in a formula I had mm -hmm. and it garnered some credit from the judges. And so I was very happy for that. Mm -hmm. But this idea of good or not good, it just doesn't, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I'll ever think that I'm good or, and certainly never good enough, but yeah, that's a good question. It really is. I, I just, I'll, when it happens, I'll let you know. <laughs> You've mentioned offhand, and you're not the first one to say it, but I'm going to equate it with you. Something about there's only five stories ever told or six stories ever told. And how do you keep an idea fresh when year after year somebody keeps asking for the same thing? I know in my case, it's like, I want to do Medea. And I'm like, I've arranged that 10 times. And the trick <laughs> is, how do I make Medea sound fresh and original, but still being Medea, but different than what I did the time before? If someone comes to you and goes, Jude, I want to do a show about dreams. And I want to put a big bed on the field. Like, I, I don't know how you, how anybody, I know how I think I'm going to do it. How do you keep something fresh and original? Like you did the ele elemental evolution, mm -hmm. a four element show is not unique. You're not the first one to do it. And you're not the last one. <laughs> to right. Do it. Like, how do you, how do you, what do you do? How do you do it? That's a great question. That's an interesting question. I think for me, it's two pronged. Number one, every four years in our world, we've reinvented ourselves. So what's old for us mm -hmm is not old for a large percentage of our clients. Mm -hmm. So yes, a, a, a show about dreams on a bed with big pillows as the flags and mm -hmm. um, maybe very old to us because sure. we both were in it yeah. in our own high schools, but it's so brand new to Nancy and Gina and they're going home telling their mom about how excited they are that they're in a dance feature on the big bed. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one part of it is that it's, always going to be new for some audience. Right. The other aspect of it is uh, I know the world we exist in and it doesn't have to be the newest thing in the world because it's just impossible. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's just impossible when you exist and live in a system that is governed by the objective and subjective placement of points based on a criteria. If you can just, in our world, openly do whatever you wanted and there were no boundaries, mm -hmm. then I think there'd be lots of ways to, to create ideas over and over. But 
I think the best we can do is what's a point of view in that idea that we've seen a thousand times that has not been explored or that I have something I want to say about it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, the Medea one is a perfect one. I was talking to you earlier about the Medusa show that I'm doing, oh, and, yes, uh-huh. but a thousand different Medusa shows. Correct. You yeah. know, and so for me, when I was doing that, it was, I was going to put 12, 12 foot tall pictures of Medusa on the field. I was going to make it presentational Medusa, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? And so I think you got to remember who your clients are mm-hmm. and what can you take from you that's new and different and add to the, to the uh, to the formula, I mean it's high school marching band. There's only so much until that criteria gets lifted and mm-hmm. goes away. I think we forget that sometimes. I certainly do, and I kind of regret not asking the question, but regret the way I did it. Is we get jaded? I think as designers, because even though we have worked on tons of dream shows or air shows or, or water shows, right? That doesn't mean that everybody's exposed to that. Our job is to live, breathe, and sleep marching band drum corps right so we watch other people we see all these things and go like yeah i see all that but so and so band and bug tussle they may never this might be the coolest thing ever we're doing mm-hmm. a show about the water and they've never seen it or heard it before and we have to remove we, we i guess we have to stop being so cynical and i'm every much as guilty as the next person well, i think we all are yeah you know i think we all are i remember and this is an honest god true story and it changed the way i thought i thought about things i remember saying well i was judging for wgi and i said to Mike Turner at a prelims in San Diego. I can't believe that this group doesn't move better for being in this class. I really think they should move better. And he said to me, well, let me think about that. And he went and he, he talked with Shirley Doherty and he came back to me and he said, you know, I talked to Shirley and we had a discussion and they probably don't remember this at all. But her response was, let's remember the reality that we live in. They're high school kids. Mm -hmm. And so what we expect cannot be put on them as much as what they are. It's our job to look at it, to take it in, to create for them. But we can't expect the Bolshoi Ballet. We can't expect the Martha Graham Dance Company or the the Los Angeles Philharmonic. But it is very easy to get jaded, Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. Who would you consider some of your heroes or inspirations? In our activity or just in the world? To you. Like what when you when someone says, Jude, who who do you, who inspires you? You're giving your Tony speech. Who are your inspirations and heroes? My God. <laughs> uh, well, I think um I'm one of the people in the world who was lucky, very, very lucky to work with my my hero of pageantry, which uh was Michael Cesario. And I really believe it's because when I first learned about drum corps. I was growing up as a, a young gay boy in the mountains, and there was this man on PBS mm-hmm. who was talking energetically and emphatically about something that I loved. And, of course, that whole gay thing had nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. It was just somebody that I felt there was a like connection to. Mm-hmm. And then knowing that this person also was a theater designer and was creating the shows that I loved on the field— to then go later in my career and get to work with that person and them to be my mentor, that was extraordinary. And so that was an absolute hero. And mm-hmm. um, and I was just saying the other day to, to somebody that asked me a question, you know, very often there's that famous saying, um, don't ever meet your heroes because they'll always disappoint. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. this is someone who has absolute, and I have, there have been some that I thought of uh, great heroes in different fields, not just in ours, that have disappointed. And this is someone that has never disappointed me. Um 
for sure, Michael would be in that Tony Award acceptance speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother, um, because at, the older I get, the more I realized with whatever it was, with my love for Broadway um, and certainly pageantry, mm-hmm. um, the answer was always yes. I mean, we had no money and there were four of us. And she and my grandmother um, always found ways to do it. And we're always so supportive of it, of it you know. And uh, now I look back and I think, oh, my God, if I saw me at 10, <laughs> you know, in this world, I would go, oh, my God, this kid's a little crazy. In the backyard with a stick and my Boy Scout Weeblow neckerchief stapled <laughs> onto a pole pretending to be in the color guard, um, I think I would probably shake my head and go, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Um, but it didn't phase her at all. It just was, that's what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. And so she would be one uh, for sure. And my grandmother is the greatest influence I have in my life. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And so I think those three, I mean, there's, of course, tons of people. Sure, yeah. But those three people, for for sure. And then I would say professionally, uh, someone who impacts me that is a hero, kind of a long off hero, would be Tommy Toon, this person we were speaking about, yeah. only because his aesthetic speaks to me so much. And so I consider him a hero because I try to hold myself mm-hmm. to that standard. Those are wonderful tributes to those. Um, do you remember your first drum corps, marching band, WGI experience, whatever it was? Oh, yeah, absolutely. My parents took us to see a DCA show when DCA was still really, really big mm-hmm. on the East Coast. There was always a huge show in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And um, my dad, for some reason or the other, took my three sisters and I and my mom. And I'm going to guess this was 1983 or 84. And uh, and I remember loving it. Mm-hmm. And that's the first I remember. It didn't impact anything I did for years and years later, but um, that's the first time I, I remember like, oh my God, I really like this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If not banned, what else would you be doing? Well, I personally think I would be perfect as an heir to a fortune <laughs> because I know I would do really great things with it. I do. Um, uh, seriously, uh, I would love to be uh, a restaurant critic or a uh, mm-hmm. a, a restaurant owner. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to vacation professionally <laughs> yeah. and then write about it. Oh, you know? a, a, an Instagram influencer, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because people do that now. Uh, it's that's very true. Uh, I, I also think teaching um, in a classroom. Uh, on the college level would be something theater classes, theater, dance history, those things. And and of course the hardest thing is, and I'm sure for you don't come across a hundred people, although maybe more than I do in, in my, in this example, you probably come across far more people that are apt to talk about music arranging. It's very hard to find even five people Mm -hmm. to talk about dance history. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of times people have said to me, dance has history. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like because you just don't, you know. Right. Um, but yeah, I think that, I mean, other than being, a, I would love to be a, a restaurant critic or a restaurant owner, someplace fine and fancy. And um, that was really about the experience. And uh, and if not, I think I would be a really very passionate uh, dance educator in the, mm. on the collegiate level. I'm surprised you didn't say storyteller. You are, what is the word, raconteur? A raconteur. Oh yeah. my gosh. You, you tell 
the greatest stories with your delivery. I, and some of them we cannot repeat. We cannot. Obvious, but there's, I, I think every time we're in a car together, I, I probably sweat because I'm laughing so much from your stories. They're wonderful. Jude, can you describe what the Jude Bouton design style is? But someone goes, how does Jude Bouton design? What is your, your style of, of design, of creating, of however you want to describe it, whatever. What's the Jude Bouton design? <laughs> um, I'm going to say this, and I know the person that said it is going to get angry with me <laughs> because I bring it up all the time <laughs> as a joke, and they literally will hit me with an umbrella. Mm-hmm. Or, but the just legendary uh, color guard designer, Dave Duffy, mm-hmm. once said to me that I do drag queen color guard <laughs> better than anyone. I know he's probably... He's going to listen to this and, and is going to drive to my house and slap me and then get in his car and leave. And leave. But there's something about that. I'm sorry. Is, so no, no, it's okay because it's great, isn't that, it? I mean, it's fantastic. Be, That's okay. And here's why. Because I said it and you immediately oh. had in your mind. Yes, exactly. And then I know you went, oh my God, that's so true. Yes, there's that, that, There's no apt. I mean, it was that description. Is, is, that's you know, it. Because you're, you do not call me. If you want to wear a solid black unitard and spin a white flag to, to triangle music, ding, ding, right, ding, yes. ding, ding, you know, that's, that's nice. you call me when you want to do Phantom of the Opera yeah. and you really want 17 chandeliers out there. And uh, just as I wouldn't call you if I just wanted classical music chopped up and I mm-hmm, want, mm-hmm. I want you for a certain thing. I think that's the design aesthetic is as theatrical mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and, and flamboyant. Mm. And those used to be, Words and ideas like drag queen color guard that I would take offense to. And now I embrace them. Sure. Because they're so few and far between. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? They really are. And so that's what I would say. I would say it's about a flamboyant, extravagant, fun, frothy, colorful. I would agree with all those. I would agree. So what's next for Jude Bouton? What what is what do you have on the table? Is your mixtape releasing? Have you written a book? Is there a screenplay? Are you reading at book people downtown? Like what what's what's coming up for Jude Bouton? Uh, well, I am waiting to hear if I am in fact an heir to millions. <laughs> yes, any day, uh, now. any day now. You know, I don't know. Um, I know that Will and I have both gotten fatigued mm-hmm. about just doing pageantry sure and rightly so because i think anybody that does it yeah would yeah. um why do you think i'm doing this right exactly <laughs> no and i think it's wonderful i really do i think it's wonderful and I, I think that is for two reasons uh number one as i say to people all the time because it's not like a broadway show where after five weeks of rehearsal you put it on its feet send it out on the road and you get paychecks every week yes you just start over again mm-hmm. and every- start over and it's a constant mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. i mean it really is just this constant process of pushing yourself to then start over again. So I, I don't know, Daniel. I, I mean, I would say in, in the best of all possible worlds, if I could, I would love to be a writer and mm-hmm, find mm-hmm. a topic that just enthralls me and I can just disappear into a library or a study and research and, and type and... And I also will say, and you, you know, you say funny about Reconteur, I would love to be an interviewer. I think, much like you're wonderful at what you do, I think I would be great at that. You know, there's this whole series of interviews that are given at the 92nd Street Y in New York City. And they just bring in, one day it will be a, uh, a music composer, one day mm-hmm, it will be mm-hmm. a, a special effects artist. And they fill the auditorium with people that love that. And 
there are different uh, interviewers. Mm-hmm. And I would love that. I think I would be so great at that. Um, because much like you're doing, I think the, the trick to that is the right questions. Right. And so I would love to do that. You know? Who's the guy on, um, it's the Broadway radio station on XM, Seth something. Oh, Seth Rodetsky. I think that's, you, we just get rid of Seth and we'll put you in. <laughs> I, think, I think that'd be solid. You know, uh, uh, he's so great at playing the music he and deconstructing. My gosh. But remember this song? And then he starts playing. Uh, he's amazing oh, at it. He said that to have that knowledge. But James Lipton yes. from Inside the Actor's Absolutely. Studio. Absolutely. That stuff, that just is so, because I love the research of mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. That stuff intrigues me. So I'd love to do that. Well, we'll, we'll have to, uh, when this becomes super successful and we branch off, you'll be the first person we call. Um, is there anything you want to plug? Like, come check out this or whatever, or go to my website or buy my herbs. <laughs> no, I don't think there's, there's anything in particular that I want to plug. Um, other than for people that are listening that are the creative type, remember that. We're doing this on the marching band side of it to make kids fall in love with music and fall in love with theater and performing and all those things that connected you to want to do this professionally. There's a wealth of that inside of all of us that we can give. So those people fall in love with it. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's about connections and getting inside of those kids and making them good humans um, and it's not just about the right notes and do they catch the toss. And so I would say that's a mantra every one of us can hold on to is to make these young artists love what they do. Jude, it's been a pleasure to have you here today. You're an absolute delight. Please remember <laughs> us in your Tony award-winning acceptance speech. And next time it comes around, it will be get me Jude Bouton. <laughs> Thank you. This episode of Sketchbook Podcast is hosted by, edited by, and produced by me, Daniel Mathoy Jr. in Austin, Texas. Our logo is created by John Suh of Purpose Designs, and our music is provided by Epidemic Sound. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, at SketchbookPod, and to send us questions, comments, suggestions, or concerns, email us at sketchbookpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. And as always, you do an eclectic celebration of the dance. You do Fosse, Fosse, Fosse. You do Martha Graham, Martha Graham, Martha Graham. Or Twyla, Twyla, Twyla. Or Michael Kidd, Michael Kidd, Michael Kidd, Michael Kidd. Or Madonna, Madonna, Madonna. But you keep it all inside.